Let's pray just one more time, okay? Father, we just ask that this would be a time where you really speak into our hearts. Lord, we pray you'd move us forward, advance us for your purposes in the kingdom. So, Lord, even now, we pray that uh, you'd enable us to receive what you have for us. I pray for the anointing of your spirit, Lord, and the giving of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is Super Bowl Sunday. The Patriots versus the Eagles. How many of you guys think the Eagles are going to win? Raise your hand. How many of you guys think the Patriots are going to win? How many of you don't care? <laughs> wow. <clears throat> well, you know, some think that Tom Brady and the Patriots are just too good. They've had this dynasty for a while, and they just attacked on one <clears throat> victory after another. And a lot of people think that they're just uh, too good to be beat. We've all seen so many sports teams over the years who seem to be invincible for a while until they kind of met their match and were defeated, sometimes even powerfully defeated. Well, something like that actually happened with the disciples of Jesus 2,000 years ago. They were experiencing an undefeated season. I mean, after Jesus chose them and equipped them, he set them, you know, he sent them out to face an opponent. Of course, that opponent was the powers of darkness. And the disciples, for a while, were pretty much undefeated. Let's go ahead and look at this. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, says, And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. And, notice verse 15 of Mark 3, and to have authority to cast out the demons. Now, three chapters later in the Gospel of Mark, notice what happens. Mark chapter 6, verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. And, verse 13, they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, they're casting out demons, and they're healing the sick. In fact, they're experiencing so much victory, I mean victory after victory, that they even get a little bit cocky. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus had to straighten them out a little bit at this point and said, basically, don't get so excited about that. Rather, be excited about the fact that your names are written in Lamb's Book of Life. Anyway, I want you to know they were flying high. I mean, they are pretty much undefeated until they came across a situation in Mark chapter 9. And now we see a very different outcome. Let's look at this. In fact, let me give you the background of Mark chapter 9. This is right after the experience that is had on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Of course, Moses and Elijah meet him supernaturally, and Peter, James, and John are there to witness it. After that event, they come down off the mountain, <clears throat> and they notice a crowd has gathered around the other disciples who didn't get invited up on the mountain with Jesus. Let's pick it up. Mark 9. Verse 14, and when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. 
And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not. Did you hear that? I mean, the disciples <clears throat> didn't have the power to cast out that demon. I mean, they fully expected that they would cast out the demon. I mean, after all, it was part of their commission. It was part of what Jesus sent them out to do. They had already had amazing success with this so far up to this point. In fact, they probably, they probably approached that situation without any doubt with their track record in mind. They were probably very confident that they did the same thing they did before. The demon's going to come out like he did before. But this time, the demon doesn't come out. So for the first time, at least we have in the Gospel of Mark, the first time we see they experienced a defeat. And as a result of this defeat, they're somewhat disillusioned. Look at verse 19 of Mark 9. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is pretty put out about this whole thing. So he speaks to the crowd and the disciples and said that basically the problem here is unbelief. By the way, the cause of most spiritual failure is unbelief. Let's pick up Mark 9, verse 20, what happens next. And they brought the boy to him. Now they bring the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, so Jesus asked this boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. So Jesus jumps on this word, if. Why? Because the question wasn't whether or not Jesus had the power to cast out this demon. The question was whether or not the father believed that Jesus could do it, in fact, would do it. So Jesus says, all things are possible for the person who believes. Mark 9, 24, immediately the boy's father cried out, began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and he got up. So now I want you to notice that Jesus now does with ease what the disciples could not do with all their effort. He casts out the demon without any trouble at all. So the disciples now are 
pretty much feeling defeated, disillusioned, and probably a little bit embarrassed. And they couldn't wait to get with Jesus in more of a private setting and ask him some questions. So let's look at Mark 9, 28. And when he come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? Why did we fail? I mean, we did the same thing we did before. But this time it didn't work. So how come we failed this time? So Jesus answers that in Mark 9, 29. This is the King James Version, which gives us what the majority of all the ancient manuscripts say. And it says, he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and fasting. So Jesus answers their question with one simple statement. But in this one simple statement is so much for them to learn and so much for us to learn. So I want to break this simple statement down. First of all, I want you to notice he says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. The focus, first of all, I want us to focus on this kind. The Lord wanted them to understand there are different kinds. The kind you've been dealing with so far is different than this kind. There are different kinds of demons. There are different kinds of fallen angels. Some are more powerful. Some are more difficult to dislodge and cast out. The disciples are facing one with greater power than they faced so far. I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. You know, we're, we are trying, we have workers overseas workers in parts of the world that the enemy, the devil, has been holding on to for thousands of years. And if we could have reached those parts of the world with the methods we've been using so far, the church in general I'm talking about, if we could have reached those parts of the world with the same methods we've been using so far around the world, then we would have already reached them. But past methods will not work. I mean, those kind of demonic strongholds can only be broken by a level of prayer and fasting that most of the church around the world has thus far been unwilling to rise to the level of. I think it's also true of our American culture. It's changed. We know that. But let me explain it this way. I want you to imagine that you're walking along maybe a little country road, and as you're walking along this road, you come across a person who's asleep on the side of the road. Well, you don't know if they're asleep or not. It appears that they are, because when you walk up, it seems they're unconscious. Now, they could be unconscious because maybe they're just sleeping. Or maybe they're unconscious for another reason. But you notice as you walk up, they... They continue to be unconscious, and you think, well, if they're sleeping, then I can wake them up. So you bend over thinking it's starting to rain, so let me wake them up so they don't lay out here in the rain. Maybe they were taking a long walk, they got tired, took a nap. I'm going to do them a favor by waking them out of their slumber. So if they're just sleeping, they wake up, and they thank you, and they're on their way. 
But if they're not sleeping, maybe the reason they're unconscious is because they have taken a drug and they're poisoned. And so you can shake them and you can yell at them all you want, but that's not going to solve the problem. The problem is there is a drug in their system and they're under the influence of that poison and all that shouting and shaking is not going to help them. So we have to take measures somehow to get rid of the poison in their system in order to help them. Well, I think our American culture, 60 to 100 years ago, for the most part, was in a state of apathy, spiritual lethargy. Some, we could just say they were somewhat spiritually more or less asleep. 100 years ago, they weren't just denying Christian principles. They weren't denying the truth of the Bible 100 years ago as a culture. A lot of them weren't practicing it. They might have assumed it. But in a sense, all you had to do 100 years ago or even 60 years ago is just wake up the culture. Because under, underlying, they, they kind of believed the Bible is true and the truth of Jesus. They just need to be awakened, you know. So a, an evangelistic crusade could come into town and, and, and awaken most towns out of their spiritual lethargy. That approach worked 60 to 100 years ago. But the situation is different today. Today, our culture is not just apathetic it's not that they just lost interest in spiritual things. There is, in our culture now, no longer a belief in the truth of God and the Bible and salvation in Jesus. Our society, as a culture, for the, for the most part, has become more of a non-moral society. In fact, I think, you know, you have a hard time arguing against that by just seeing what the TV puts out and the movies are putting out that morality is not really recognized by large sections of our society anymore. It's not. Our culture's changed. So the beliefs of our culture, of our society, are not what they used to be. In fact, what's interesting is you can still poll Americans, and 60 to 70% of them will identify themselves as Christians if that's all you ask. Are you Christian? But if you get more specific with that question, and you ask the question this way, and say, is your faith very important in your life? And do you believe that you have responsibility to witness to non-Christians? Do you acknowledge the existence of Satan? Do you contend that eternal salvation is possible only through God's grace and not on the basis of works? And you believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and you believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect deity who created the universe and still rules it today. Most of you think that's, that's a simple answer to all those questions, right? Do you know how many Americans can say yes to that statement? Guess the percentage. Eight. Eight percent of Americans can say yes to that statement. So our society has changed dramatically. Our terminology no longer means anything to most people outside the church. Most people are in a position of plenty, plenty of money, able to get whatever they want. They're unconcerned about spiritual things. There's no interest 
in matters of the soul, no interest in higher things of life, just eating and drinking, enjoying themselves. It's getting what they want and being able to hold on to it. That's mainly what is driving our culture. So what I want to propose to you is our society is like the little boy in Mark 9. And the church today in America is like the disciples in Mark 9. So we're dealing with a different challenge, a different situation. We're dealing with a different kind. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're not going to be able to make the adjustments that we need to make in order to have victory over this kind. So, you know, in these areas that we're trying to impact around the world, and we, we talk about these hard, hard regions of the world, these difficult regions, these difficult countries. We talk about really reaching those. We talk about penetrating a culture that's become like this culture which we're living in. And we need to understand that it is different and it's going to require a different approach than it did many years ago. That's the first thing I want to point out. Is what he says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. This kind, there's a different kind. There's something different happening. It's going to take a different strategy. Second thing I want you to notice in this simple phrase, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. I want to focus on that. Jesus says only one, only one way to get this kind out. There's only one way to dislodge this kind. There's only one way to have victory over this kind. And the answer is not better techniques. The answer is not a seminar. The answer isn't more Christian TV and more Christian radio. The answer is not bigger and better church buildings. The answer is not more Bible studies. The answer is not better organizations and better communications. All of that worked for the other kind. But none of that works for this kind. There is a kind, Jesus says, that will not be moved by anything a church is now doing unless it adds to what it's doing, this most important thing of prayer and fasting, the level of spiritual authority and power that comes with that in order to dislodge this kind. So it starts, I think, by just acknowledging our helplessness and our need and our impotence with certain challenges that we're facing. And we're confronted, we are confronted with something that's too deep for the methods that we've used before to get rid of. So we need something that can go down beneath this evil power and shatter it. There's only one thing that can do that, and that's the power of God. We need a power that can enter into the souls of men and break them and smash them and humble them and then make them anew. You know, if we are going to see a real powerful move of God in places like Turkey and Oman and Western China and Pakistan and Japan and many other places, then it's going to take something different than we've been doing. If we're going to see a real move of God in this nation, it's really going to penetrate our community and break the strongholds 
that seem to just have such a grip right now in this nation. It's going to take a level of prayer and fasting that most of the church has just been unwilling to do up to this point. I want to just re- I want to review just five things I'm asking everyone who considers Grace Community Church that be their church home. Five things I'm asking us to all do. And that's number one, that we're all involved in Sunday worship. I know sometimes we have sick kids, and many of you are live streaming today because of that. But be involved. We need to be involved together in worship. We need to be involved in corporate prayer and, and hearing the word and being, and being motivated and challenged and encouraged and strengthened. Also, small groups, we need, to have, we need to have people that know us and we know them and they speak Christ into our lives. We speak Christ in theirs. We have support. We have accountability. We all need to have a ministry. Every one of you have at least one spiritual gift. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have at least one. There's four places in the New Testament that says that you have at least one. And so find out what that is and fulfill your ministry. A fourth thing is we all need to tithe. Tithe means tenth part. Tenth part of everything God blesses us with. Every revenue comes our way. We bring a tenth of it into our worship place so his work can get done around the world. We all just do our part. You do your part. I do my part. We all do it. There's a fifth thing I'm asking us all to do, and that's be part of our grace house of prayer. We need a prayer life on our own every day, but also we're asking everyone who's part of this church, considers that their church shown to be willing to be inconvenienced one hour a week to come to our house of prayer room and to pray for the needs of our workers, the needs of our church, the needs of our community, so forth. But what I'm adding today is simply this. I am asking all of us, on the day that you come up to the house of prayer, the day that you're willing to be inconvenienced for that one hour, I'm asking you to fast on that day. To add that to what you already do. On that day, fast. Either if you never fast so much, start with one meal. But then get to where you could do that on that day, all day. Now, what is fasting? Well, fasting, according to the Bible, is very simply a voluntary elimination or at least reduction of food for a specific time, for a specific purpose. Why do it? Let me answer that question. Number one, fasting gives you more time for prayer. You know, in the Bible, fasting is always connected with prayer. Acts 13, verse 2 and 3 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So fasting gives us more time to pray. By the way, fasting gets us away away from ourselves and prayer gets us to God. Number two, fasting demonstrates demonstrates the depth of your desire when praying for something. It shows that you mean business with God, that you're serious enough about the prayer you're praying that you're willing to pay a personal price. And God honors that kind of desire and that kind of faith. Joel chapter 1, verse 14, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land and to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Then in verse Chapter 2, verse 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Number three, fasting releases God's supernatural power. It is a a spiritual weapon. The devil just doesn't 
can't do much against it. I mean, I think Satan would rather, you know, get us to do just about anything except add this to our, to our arsenal. Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, so we fasted and prayed to God about this, and he answered our prayer. You know, you see fasting throughout the Bible. Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. Exodus 34, 28, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the ta tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That was obviously a supernatural grace on him for that by God, for this special time. The Israelites fasted before a miraculous victory. Some men came to Jehoshaphat. A vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the sea, it's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Daniel fasts in order to receive guidance from God. In Daniel 9.3, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And later in verse 9, verse 21, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, this is an angel, came to me in a swift flight about, about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Nehemiah fasted before beginning a major, the major building project, building the wall, Jerusalem. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Jesus fasted during his victory over temptation. Luke 4, 2. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The first Christians fasted during decision-making time. We already looked at this first, but I'll read it again. Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed... They placed their hands on them and sent them off. So those are some of the reasons why we should fast. Now, let me talk a little bit about how. How should we do it? Again, remember that fasting is getting ourselves away from, getting us away from ourselves and prayer is getting us to God. So fasting needs to be a focus on prayer to God. Our focus is God. It's not just the exercise of fasting. It's, just, it's, the, it's the focus on God. Spend extra time praying, spend extra time in the Word, your sensitivity to God will be much more acute. In fact, I talked to a brother this morning. He said, I thought you'd be talking about fasting this morning. I fasted two days this week, and I felt like I was much more in tune with what the Spirit of God was saying. So that's part of what happens in fasting. But make God your focus. Just worship Him. Seek His face. And the devil's going to do everything to try to get you to break it. He's going to, you're going to you know, get you hungry and grumpy and family issues, and all kinds of stuff going to come at you to get you to break it. So make sure you just keep your focus, stay focused on seeking the Lord in your fast. Also, it's a time just to ask the Holy Spirit to be searching you. It's a time of, of cleansing. I mean, you see it in the natural, but in the spiritual, really asking God, show me anything, Lord, that I need to confess as sin. So make your motive to glorify God, not to have some emotional experience or to attain some kind of happiness out of this. Our motive is we want to seek God. We want to, we want to seek his heart 
He'll bless that time. I want to talk about some different kinds of fast under the how. The most obvious, simple, biblical fast is you just don't eat food, but you drink water. And you got to make sure you drink a lot of water so you don't get dehydrated. There are partial fasts. Some people refer to what Daniel did by eating just vegetables and not meat as a partial fast. Some people who have health issues might do something like this where they can't do just a pure fast on just water. Sometimes you're doing a longer fast. You can introduce some juice, fresh squeezed juice, no pulp, because that'll start your digestive system going again. And mixing that in with, with water. I started fasting... Uh, 41 years ago, first time I learned about it as a Christian in college, and me and some buddies, we decided we were going to do it every week, so every, we'd eat dinner on Monday night, and we wouldn't eat, eat again until breakfast on Wednesday morning, we did that every week, and we just held each other accountable, and I went, it was a dramatic change in my spiritual life, in a rapid, rapid time period, uh, to, because I wanted, I, I wanted to become a, a I wanted to really pursue holiness and purity in my life. And after that point in my life, I was not a holy man. I was not pure. But I wanted that. I pursued that. And I had a great breakthrough during those times. And then I began to start three-day fast and four-day fast and seven-day, ten-day. And I was on, I was, my goal was a 40-day, but on day 28, I, I was looking so bad everybody's worried about me on day 28 that um, it was my daughter's 14th birthday, and I said, what do you want for your birthday? Anything you want. She says, anything, Daddy? I said, yeah, anything. She said, I want you to eat. And I thought, well, Lord, I mean, I just put that number out there, so I'm going to grant my daughter's request. And I had one teaspoonful of mashed potatoes, and I was stuffed. And I began to break the fast like I should have, which, by the way, let me talk about how to enter and to break a fast. First of all, if you're just going to go one day, that doesn't take a lot of preparation. But uh, if you're going to go a little bit longer, and you, if you drink a lot of caffeine, it's a good idea if you stop the caffeine a few days before you stop eating, or you're going to have some massive headaches, just practically speaking. But also to break a fast, it's good to break a fast. I mean, one time I broke a fast with a pizza with everything on it. <laughs> you better be close to a bathroom if you do that. I'll, I'll just say that. No more details. Because your, your intestines are going, no way. Send it on through. Here it goes. So raw vegetables, soups, steamed vegetables, those sorts of things to slowly work your way body back into food, wake your system up. So there's some practical things. Those of you who want to do a real long fast, I'd love to talk to you personally, give you some more details on what to expect and, and how to prepare for that, how to come out of that. Uh, but let me tell you about a danger of this discipline. This is a wonderful discipline, but there's a danger. And the danger is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride in this discipline is huge, a huge danger. You know, we have the ability as humans to take things that are sacred and holy, things meant to draw us closer to God, and then turn them into some mechanical religious drill that we use to impress other people. And... Fasting is intended as a tool for us to draw close to God and get us away from ourselves, to break us and humble us and get us to seek his face. And, and be careful that you keep coming back to, I'm doing that for him. I'm not doing that to impress anybody. Because even, in, even during the days when Israel and Judah was in exile and they were fasting, when they were in Babylonian captivity, 
Remember Zechariah? God said through the prophet Zechariah. He said, during those seven years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer at the festival in early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? Zechariah 7.5. He asked that question. God asked that question. Was it really for me that you were fasting? So we want to be able to answer that question, yes. So really guard your heart. That's why Jesus says, you know, when you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, I mean, so take care of yourself that people aren't saying, hey, what's wrong? And you go, well, <laughs> glad you noticed. <laughs> I happen to be on a long fast. <laughs> Let me give you, I'm going to ask everyone in this uh, church family, everyone live streaming, just because you're live streaming doesn't mean you get out of this. <laughs> and those of you that are eating pancakes in bed right now, pay special attention. <laughs> I want to give you four options to do this week. And I'm asking everyone to pick one of these options. First option is go a 36-hour period on just water. Spend and focus on really worship, prayer, and Bible reading. Whatever extra time you have, use that time. That's, that's going to be a Monday dinner to a Wednesday breakfast, or it could be a Wednesday dinner to a Friday breakfast. But pick your 36 hours and say, I'm going to do that. Some of you say, I've never done that before. Will I die? You won't die. Now, those of you who think you have health concerns, I, I, I urge you to talk, you know, talk to your doctor if you need to. But most people have no, will have no problem with this. You'll feel a little hungry, so I just drink some more water. Some of you, I would challenge you to go 48 hours, but, feel, but you could add some juice uh, into that. So just pick Monday night to Wednesday night or Tuesday night to Thursday night. Go 48 hours. Now, I'm going to give a couple creative more creative fast for those of you who say, well, I don't know if food's going to work with me in light of my medications or health or whatever. So I want to give you a couple other ones. If you're over 30, you can do this one. Six days with no TV. No Fox News. No CNN. No Amazon Prime. No TV. Netflix. No ESPN. And you can start that on Monday. Some of you were worried about that, weren't you? <laughs> Monday through Saturday, six days. If you're over 30, you can do that. If you're under 30, you're 13 to 30, six days with no social media. And I'm second service, I'm going to really challenge the high school and college and young adults with this one. Six days, no Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook. Six days, they'll think they're dying. But God will do a great new thing during that time where we give him our focus. Now, instead of looking at that device constantly, put it away. I mean, you can receive a text for an emergency, that's fine. But otherwise, you're, be purpose yourself to prayer and worship. I tell you, we're living in days where God is doing some powerful things on the earth. And you don't hear about them. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but I want to tell you something. It just happened recently. And I need to read the story because it's got a lot of confidentiality in it because a lot of the ministries are, are hanging in the balance here in the story. But I want to tell you the story. And it goes like this. There's a man by the name of Sani, and that's not his real name. Sani has been assisting with some translation workshops over the past year in West Africa. He's a former Muslim. In fact, his father was a former imam. 
and they come from a people group that is predominantly Muslim. Well, early, and I think it was early in January, Sonny received a phone call from an unknown number. The caller said that he and his four friends were aware of Sonny's work among the Muslim people group that they belonged to, and they shared that same heart language, and they wanted Sonny to come and meet with them and tell them about Jesus. That's what they said on the phone. Well, it wasn't long in the, in the conversation before Sonny became, became apparent to him that these five leaders were part of a militant group. So he began to wonder, was this a trap? So he declined at first to meet with them. Well, the caller phoned again the next day, and he was begging Sonny to come meet with them. To help persuade Sonny, he related an account of a recent experience that the five leaders just had. Well, the five leaders actually were leading a group of 2,500 militants, and they admitted to that. And he said that we were on our way through the bush to a neighboring state to launch an attack when we were blocked by a vision of a man in a brilliant white whose feet were on the ground, and they, and they said his head was in the sky. And all five leaders and many of the larger groups saw the vision, and they wisely retreated. But not to be deterred, they wondered if they'd stumbled upon a holy trail. So they decided the next day to proceed a different way. Well, again, they were confront, confronted the next day by the same vision. And that happened five times. So upon finally returning to the camp, the five leaders took their prayer rugs, remember these are Muslims, took their prayer rugs and separated themselves from the camp, from the 2,500, and they went to pray and reflect on what had happened. All five of them separated to pray. And the caller who called Sonny tells a story that a visitor approached him and sat down next to him. Again, he's out by himself in the bush, sat down next to him. And then began to relate to him everything that he'd been going through, everything that he was thinking. So this caller, this man's baffled now, he finally says, who are you and how do you know these things? The visitor who'd been sitting with his hands tucked under his arms, pulled out his hands and displayed palms forward showing holes in each and proclaimed to him, I am Jesus. I have come that you might have salvation and salvation to uh, and bring salvation to others. Well, the militant leader falls to his knees, accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then the visitor walks away and disappears in the, on the trail in the bush. So this newly converted leader grabs up his stuff and runs to one of the other leaders. And then Eventually, go to all four leaders, gets them together. He explains what happened, and they all said the exact same thing happened to them at the exact same time. So they quickly discuss what they should do next. They remembered hearing about Sonny, a man who talked about Jesus in their own language. So upon hearing this story, and some amount of prayer and discussion with his wife, Sonny decided that he would go ahead and meet with them took their invitation. He drove some way out of town where he met the caller. The caller met him, picked him up on a motorbike, and took him to the camp where the 2,500 are. They arrived late at night, 
And they went to sleep, but he didn't sleep. Not Sonny. At daybreak, Sonny entered the camp to find 2,500 militant, militants assembled and waiting for him to speak. Even though Sonny was a preacher, he was prompted by the Lord just to read from the scriptures. The scriptures are now in their heart language. Six years earlier. And he decides to read out of the book of James. And after reading four chapters out loud in the book of James, he just stops and asks how many people want to respond to Jesus as the Savior and Lord of their life. And all 2,500 respond. Now you hear something like that, and, you, and I know there's, I can feel a little unbelief in the room. And I, and I, when you hear something like that, and you say, well, if that happened, how come it wasn't covered on CNN? How come the media doesn't cover that sort of thing? I want you to remember something. That is that, for example, let's say your favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. And let's say the media decides only to show you the plays where the Cowboys mess up. That's when you turn on the Cowboy game, all you see is when they fumble, when they pass interception, when they get tackled behind a line of scrimmage. All you see is their mess ups. Would you think you had a winning team? Of course not. Well, one of the names for the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And I might add waves. And so don't expect a media that is predominantly controlled by the powers of darkness to tell, uh, tell us when the church is winning. What will they show? They'll only show things on TV or when the church messes up, when we fumble, when we get intercepted, when we have a mess up in leadership. That's what they love to show. And so don't be surprised by that. Well, you won't hear about these, all these victory stories that are happening. But God is on the move. And if we want to be in position to be used by him in these strategic days that are coming upon us, then prayer and fasting will help position us. And, I th and as, a regular, as a regular discipline, that's what I'm hoping to come out of this. Not that you just did it one time, like, whew, glad that's over. But you'll come out of this, well, you know what, I'm going to stay with this discipline. I'm going I'm to find a pattern that I can do, and, and I can still function, but I'm really going to give myself to this. I tell you what will happen is we raise a level of prayer and fasting in this church, we're going to see a level raised of Holy Spirit power, and we're going to see some of this kind dislodged. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Now, I feel kind of funny reminding you about Grace, Grace Cafe right after talking about <laughs> fasting. Start tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the weapons that you've given us to fight the spiritual war. And Lord, we, we pray that we would really have insight now into uh, how we can each personally apply this. Lord, you, you know each one of us and, and what is the best way for us to really walk in this. And Lord, we, none of us need to try to be heroic. You're the only hero, Jesus. We do want to really be able to walk in power and authority and be able to dislodge this kind, this kind in our community, this kind in our families, this kind in the unreached parts of the world. 
So, Lord, we just we want, to, we want to take it to another level. We ask for the grace now to walk in this. Enable us to do this. And I pray this week, Lord, that you would just uh, really cause us to begin to see right away what you're releasing, Lord, through this series as we draw close to you and you draw close to us and you release, Lord, your nearness and your kingdom power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.